Dear ones, the Bible says that Moses was 120 years old when he died. The Bible also says that his eyesight did not dim, nor was his natural force abated. But who was this man, Moses? Who was Moshe? Who was Moses? I know, loved ones, when we read the banner, show me thy glory, we think of the glory of God, and I'd like to talk about that this evening. But something else comes to mind. Who was this man that had the audacity to ask the master of the universe to reveal his glory? Who was this man that at one point asked God to take his name out of the book, God's book, for the sake of his people? Who was this man that had such gall? Such boldness. You remember last year's theme here at Eastern Camp. Come boldly. Dear ones, in order for us to find out who this man was, we have to go back a little. The Bible says that this man was a Hebrew. He was one of the Hebrew slaves that a long long time ago, the patriarchs came and dwelt in Egypt because of a famine. And the Bible says that there arose a prophet who did not know Joseph. And this, uh, sorry, a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And this pharaoh got intimidated because the Hebrew people grew mightily. And he commanded that all the Hebrew boys would be killed. But the Bible says that the midwives feared the Lord and the Lord blessed them for their fear. It's amazing that the fear of the Lord, the wisdom is the beginning Or is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is the beating of wisdom. The Bible says that Moses' mother made a basket and put him in the river Nile. And one of Pharaoh's daughters was bathing herself. And she drew up Moses from the water. And Moses' sister was watching, and she came up to Pharaoh's daughter, and she said, Listen, I know it's a baby. I know a woman who can wean him, who can, who can take care of him. And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go ahead, take him. And Moses' sister brought Moses back to his own mother, who took care of Moses. And dear ones, I don't know what his mother told him. I don't know if Moses' mother said, reminded Moshe who he was. The Bible says in the New Testament that Moses esteemed the reproaches greater than the riches of Egypt. He'd rather be a Hebrew slave than a prince of Egypt. But nonetheless, Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt. You know, the, the truth is, when I think of Moses, dear ones, I, I can't get it out of my head. I watched the Ten Commandments when I was a kid, and I think of Charlton Heston for some reason. And, you know, I, Brother Victor, you take a close second, I have to say, sorry. But, you know... When I, when I think of Moses, I think of this man who, who forsook, and that was a compliment, compliment Brother Victor. Um, I think of a man who was faithful. And the Bible says that one day he saw an Egyptian beating and hurting one of the slaves. And so he comes to, his, to, to the Hebrews' rescue and he kills the Egyptian. Moses becomes a murderer. And, and for fear of it being found out, the Bible says he runs and he takes off and he goes where? Into the wilderness. 
into the plains. Dear ones, Moses goes into the plains, into the wilderness, away from Egypt. And what does he become there? Moses becomes a shepherd. A prince of Egypt, he goes from a prince to a pauper. Why, dear ones? Because it was in the wilderness that God wanted to shape a man who would lead the greatest exodus the world has ever known. I think it's somewhere close to a million people with children, men and women. But God had to undo all of Moses' teachings, all of the teachings that he learned from Egypt, because Moses wasn't going to lead the children of Israel or the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt with Egyptian tactics. And dear ones, we know that the Egyptians were a very powerful people. We understand that they were very knowledgeable to this very day. We, we, we don't understand how those pyramids were built. We can speculate, but we don't understand how, how they built the pyramids. One of the wonders of the world. But God wanted to get the glory because God deserves the glory. You know, I asked, I asked the, the 16-year-olds, I've had the privilege, uh, Brother Tim said he had the privilege of teaching um, the teen choir. I have had the privilege of teaching the 16-year-olds, a great bunch of kids. And I asked them today if jealousy was a bad thing. You'll forgive me, brothers and sisters, if I'm wandering. I, I, I'm like a gerbil who thinks he's going somewhere, you know, but he's not going. I just, I think better when I move around. So please forgive me. I don't mean to wander around the pulpit. I think better. I asked them if jealousy was a bad thing. And they all said, yes, it is. I said, you sure? They said, of course. Jealousy can lead to this, and jealousy can lead to that, and jealousy can cause you to do... And I said, you're absolutely right. Jealousy could be a bad thing. But did you know that the Bible could be a bad thing? How many wars were created by this book? How many people hold this book up and hold it like a sword and condemn people? They hold on one hand a banner condemning people to hell. On the other hand, they're holding the Bible underneath their hand. I didn't ask if jealousy can cause something to be bad. I asked if jealousy was a bad thing. Then they said envy. And I said, yeah, envy is a bad thing. But jealousy is wanting something that is rightfully yours. Dear ones, the glory of God belongs not to us, but to God. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. God had to equip Moses in the wilderness. He goes from being a prince in Egypt to tending to sheep. But there's a message in that. He will lead sheep one day. And at one of these instances when he's tending the sheep, he sees a burning bush. And the fire doesn't go out. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you stand on is holy ground. Dear ones, Moses had the audacity to say, God, show me thy glory. Can I translate that? The Bible says that Moses said, show me thy glory. Moses said, God, I want to see your face. God, I've seen what you have done. Can I see your face? I've spoken to you face to face. I've had a veil in front of me. I can hear your voice, but I just want to see you, God. And dear ones, I won't attempt to think what's in the mind of God, but perhaps God thought, one day, Moses, you shall not see me, but there will be a people that shall see me face to face as a baby.
It's in those wilderness experiences, dear ones, that God shapes us. I feel so pretentious. I feel so, I don't even know what the word is. Yeah, I've gone through some valleys in my life, but, but a wilderness. On not knowing who you are. Only you and God. That's, dear ones, where God wants to shape us. If you think I'm wrong, dear ones, are, are we not reminded of Isaac? Who for the rest of his life walked with a limp? As a reminder that he had a conversation, a moment with God. More than a conversation. It was a constant reminder that he was in the presence of God. He was alone. Dear ones, you know the nation of Israel? They did not become a nation once they reached the promised land. The Bible says that God gave the decrees and the laws and the ordinances. While they were in the wilderness, they became a nation. Elijah. Elijah was a prophet who was hiding because he thought he was the only one who was running from King Ahab. He thought he was the only one that was left. And God had to gently remind him, Elijah, there's about 7,000 others who have not bowed down to false gods. Remember Daniel? Daniel was a little boy taken captive. Alone, wilderness. I'm not talking necessarily a place that you have to be in a desert. A, a, A circumstance in life that it's only you and God. Dear ones, we run from that because the truth is in North America, we don't find our identity in Christ. Remember the Apostle Paul? He wrote that he was three years in Arabia. When he was converted in Damascus, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He was three years in Arabia, and some say that that's where the Lord revealed himself. In fact, Scripture says that that's where he had the time with God. And then, dear ones, we can think of John, the revelator, he became the revelator on the island of Patmos. Before that, he was the disciple John. What happened? What happened when Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt? What happened to their attitude? They prayed. The Bible says their groanings came to God and God heard their prayer and God sent Moses to deliver them. And then they were wandering in the, in the, in the desert. Do you remember, dear ones, the, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day? They saw all those things. They saw the glory revealed. What about the parting of the Red Sea? They saw that. Dear ones, I'm sure they saw Moses' strength still there. They were witnesses of all these things. The manna from heaven, the water from the rock. Twice Moses hid it the one time, and that caused him not to enter the promised land, the Bible says. Can you imagine Moses thinking, God, isn't, doesn't everything else count for what I, I made one mistake? And it, they're a rebellious people, Lord. You know they are. But it gives us these, these glimpses of the character of God. God is holy and just. And demands our obedience. What about when they met the Anakins, the giants? They came back and said, we're like grasshoppers. We can't face these Anakins. And God said, Anna who? Anna who? Do you remember Gideon? God kept reducing his army. 300 men wiped out 135,000 people. What's that ratio? 400, 
400 to 1? More? That's God. Dear ones, why has the Lord laid this on my heart? You know, a few people ask me, you know, Brother Dennis, are you nervous about tonight? Dear ones, I, I, I'm not nervous at this moment to preach. What I'm nervous about is I want to make sure that I give God the glory. I want to make sure that I say the things that God wants me to say. Let's go further down. Do you remember David? Do you remember David and Goliath? Where was David? All of his brothers were dressed up in the armor. They knew. They trained. They knew how to fight. What was David doing? He was whistling and taking care of sheep. And by curiosity, he came down to his father. And his father said, send some food down to your brothers. David comes by and he says, who's this guy? Who's this guy defying the armies of the living God? Defying the living God? And David comes before him. They, they armor him up. David says, no, 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 no. I haven't proved this. I haven't tried this. I haven't trained in this. I'm not used to this. And David looks at Goliath, this, this behemoth, this, this mighty man. And David doesn't see him. David sees God. And David says to me, you come to me with swords and, and with this army, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Let's make it a little more personal. Dear ones, what about the book of Hosea? The prophet Hosea is told to go and marry a prostitute. A picture of God and his love for Israel who was practicing whoredom. You know, I can't understand, I can't can't grasp grasp the mind of God. I, I don't know how God works. And, and I get frustrated when we think we can place God in a box. Dear ones, when we do that, the truth is we are in a box. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. We don't need to figure God out. He's got us figured out. He'll let us know where we need to go. And he'll let us know what we need to know. But God tells Hosea to love Gomer because she is your beloved. The love, the unconditional love that God had for Israel, his nation. Why? Because they were his people. The dear ones, why am I saying all this? What does this have to do with us? Because, dear ones, if I asked all of, all of us now, do we believe that it's the same God who parted the Red Sea that sits with us here tonight in the glory of his Shekinah, the, the glory of the Holy Spirit, we would say yes. But when we leave these doors, we would talk and walk a different way. We wouldn't live and act as if God... The the master of the universe is my father. The glory of the Lord was revealed over and over again. And then, dear ones, we see the glory of the Lord revealed in what the prophet spoke and prophesied. In Genesis, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Micah said, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. 
Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which is God with us. Moses, you will see my back parts. You will see my glory. But one day, there will be a people that shall see me. In the man Jesus... A man who was born, a baby in a manger. The creator of the universe had nowhere to lay his head down. He created it all. The Bible is silent regarding Jesus' early years. We have the account when he was found at the temple by his parents. But it's silent. And then we see Jesus being baptized and the Holy Spirit coming over Jesus and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But dear ones, that's not where Jesus' ministry started. Immediately the Bible says he was carried off into the wilderness. To be what? Tempted of the devil. Dear ones, in the wilderness is where Jesus Christ started the ministry. Where Jesus was equipped to redeem And lead the greatest exodus ever. The souls of men and women. From the bondage of sin. Who was this man, Jesus? Dear ones, who was this lovely man from Nazareth? A man who encountered some men who weren't the best role models, the best model citizens, and called them to follow him. Who saw another man sitting, dear ones, sitting at a table and putting out his hand and collecting shekels for the Roman government as a tax collector, ashamed at what he was doing, but what he's doing nonetheless. And he said, Psst, Matthew, follow me. Who looked and saw another man praying underneath a fig tree, Who was this man, Jesus, dear ones, who told another one to follow him, who would eventually do what? As we have heard from Brother Mark last night, betray him with a kiss. Dear ones, who is this man who hears a leper calling him? People are running away from this man who's got, who's an invalid, who's contaminated, Children are making fun of him. He's been made fun of all his life. And Jesus comes up, to him, comes up to him and heals him. Dear ones, who is this man, Jesus, who heals a centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law? A Gergesene demoniac. A man that the Bible says was chained up. Who is this man, Jesus. Dear ones, he feeds 5,000 and then 4,000. He walks on water. He heals the sick and he raises the dead. Who is this Jesus that we sing? Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Dear ones, I often wonder... And I wonder this for myself. If I really know who Jesus is. 
not only as Savior, but as Lord. Dear ones, I wonder who, if we understand who this man Jesus is, who, who was the greatest figure in history that changed the course of humanity. Dear ones, I think of two sisters crying for their dead brother and Jesus having compassion on, on, upon them and, and being moved com- with compassion that the shortest verse in the Bible is record- recorded, Jesus wept. Who was this man who had rough hands because he was a carpenter but a soft heart? Who blessed little children? Who gathered those that didn't want, that couldn't be touched or looked upon? And was touched by their infirmities. Who forgives a thief on the cross. And looks upon those people that are laughing at him and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Dear ones, I think if, if we look back in the Old Testament, God had a tabernacle. I want to go back for a moment to the Old Testament. God had a tabernacle where the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it was a moving tabernacle. Wherever it was situated, the Ark of the Covenant was there and God was there. And then further down, God had a temple made. Or, or there was a temple made for God. Solomon built a temple and God's presence was there. And people would come, the children of God would come and meet there. But, but I remember the verses, loved ones, that, says, that say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And one day God wanted to live within his people, inside of our hearts. Dear ones, when we accepted the Lord, we accepted him in our hearts. What does that mean for us? What does it mean to have Jesus Christ in our hearts? Yes, I know he saved us from the, from the miry clay. He set our feet upon the rock to stay. I know he plunged, plucked us out of hell. He saved us so that we can live forever. We can sing what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But is that all he did? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but the Son of God who gave himself for me. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We are the salt of the earth. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Go ye into the world and behold I am with you. Knowing the terror of the Lord we persuade men. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Dear ones, am I reading too much into the Bible? Is there a possibility, dear ones, that we have missed the mark in some areas? I know, you know what, I, I, I'm a young preacher, I haven't been preaching that long, and I seem to be a broken record. But this is my story and this is my song, and I will sing it all the day long. Dear ones, we have a great commission. God has commissioned us and given us the Holy Spirit to share it, share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. This man who touched us, dear ones, you and I who were sinners, who were filthy sinners, it does not matter the degree of sin that we have, dear ones.
We are the glory of God. Let your light so shine that men would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Dear ones, I, I have been looking these past five days, back at these past five days, and seeing the, the wonderful talent we have as a body of believers within this fellowship, within this small fellowship and precious fellowship. But I have never been one to put the cart before the horse, dear ones, and never one to say that this is the fellowship that is going to secure and hold the Bible together. It is the Bible that holds us together. And I think that the Lord has blessed us for a reason, dear ones. And he's gifted us for a reason, not to hoard it, but to share it. On Monday, I had a forum, Monday morning, about the immorality in the world. And, and, and what verse jumps out at me is, is, and I shared this, but I'd like to share it with all of us if I can this evening. 1 Corinthians 6, when the apostle talks about the Corinthian church and all that it was made up of. And I'm not going to go into the list, but what jumps out at me, dear ones, it says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were. That's what the world is. And that's what we need to do is pluck these souls from a burning hell, from a Christless eternity. Dear ones, God has gifted us. It's a broken record. A brother gave me, an, and maybe I won't mention his name, I don't want to get him in trouble, but he gave me a book about Mennonite tent revivals. And, and Brother Bob, I was thinking of speaking to you. I know you've always said you were an evangelist or you are an evangelist. What about tent revivals? Dear ones, what about as a fellowship reaching out in the open forum, not just like this, but calling our communities and our neighbors, pregnant women, young kids who are doing all sorts of stuff, and bringing them in masses and sharing the love of Jesus with them. That's our commission. That's what we have been saved for. Loved ones, not to make our fellowship like heaven. We are going to heaven. This is Eastern camp. I think of the camp back in the Old Testament when you had the sin of Achan. When he had that sin, and who was affected, dear ones? All of Israel. Until they found that sin and they destroyed that sin and the partakers of that sin, there was no blessing. Maybe there's sin in the camp. I know one thing. I know that we have felt the blessing of God, but I know there's more. Dear ones, if we say to God, show me thy glory, then we need to be prepared to hear the answer. Brother Gibbs said, Give me your heart. The prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 58, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and shew my people their transgression in the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Lord, we have done all these things. You're not noticing here. 
Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. This is what I wanted to read. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Isn't this what I want? To loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear ward. Thou shalt call, then thou shalt call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity... And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundation of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers of paths to dwell in. Dear ones, this is our call. This is our commission. Dear ones, as I read this book, the Mennonite Tent Revivals in the 50s, it's ironic that we are in a Mennonite university. Mennonites are very similar to us. They were very careful to hold the precious heritage. They were worried when they hold the Tent Revivals, what's going to happen if people from different fellowships come? How do we preserve that? How do we stop that? And they had a whole debate, and they wondered whether they should go forward or not. And the book records that men got together and said, wait, wait. What is more important? What is more important? Our fears or the souls of men and women. Amen.